The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And today, um, you're going to hear me rant for a change. <laughs> There's so much to rant about. And apparently, I'm not the only one who thinks so. Um, for example, there are all these protests uh, popping up all over the country of other people who are ranting, although they're ranting for different reasons. But, um, but you know, it just it just uh, it just shows that um, all the way around, the world is getting angrier and ranting more, regardless of what the topic is. And it's a very worrisome uh, situation. Um, I'm going to be talking today, I'm going to be analyzing, putting news on the couch, analyzing some of the headlines of today's news, and uh, giving you my psychiatric take on it, my psychological analysis. And uh, I'll start with the, with the Wall Street protests and the copycat protests going on all over the country. Um, you know, when I was, I was driving in my car the other day, and I was listening again to all the bad news on the radio, and um, just for some reason it sort of hit me more than it had before, just how, how depressed and, and um, desperate uh, so many people in our country are. I mean, I think what, what the topic was was um, um, the job situation for a change. Um, you know, that's it. You just have to get out of, get out of bed, get into your car to drive to work or somewhere, and you put on the radio and you hear all of these incredibly depressing stories, whether they are, uh, about the job situation, the economy in general, about wars all over the world, um, about murders, you know, about, uh, court cases like, uh, Michael Jackson's doctor, just, you know, I mean, of course, it's not going to be good news, but, um, but it just, you know, it, it just, the, the numbers of people who have been out of work and who have been out of work for a long time, and I guess um, also what they were talking about was how uh, it's become more and more of a practice for companies who are hiring to totally discount those people who have been out of work for X amount of time, and it's become just a, a uh, an automatic kind of rejection. Um, if you've been out of work for a certain amount of time, at least in some companies. Now, I was trying to figure out the rationale of that, and um, you know, I mean, first of all, it certainly is discrimination, and somebody should bring a lawsuit, um, and probably will soon about that, um, but. But, um, 
in addition to that, you know, you wonder what is it that people think that those people who have been out of work for a long time um, have gotten out of practice, have lost the work ethic, are uh, all drinking themselves to death, standing on street corners, um, you know, are 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 not very ambitious, or else they would have figured out things themselves um, to do. You know, start their own company rather than wait around to find a job. I mean, I guess all of those could be used as excuses, but and and it is true. Uh, I mean, in my opinion, certainly. I mean, certainly, it's terrible that all these people are out of jobs. And I've talked already on the show about how um, this was such a such an obvious outcome that would happen when company upon company kept outsourcing their jobs to uh, foreign countries where there's cheaper labor. I mean, even you know, we've all. Uh, I mean, Steve Jobs was in the news. And people expressed uh, their reverence for all of his inventions and, and uh, you know, had the great strides he made in technology and, and all of that. And, yes, he was a genius in many ways. But even Apple, <laughs> and I have a Mac, uh, you know, I love Apple products, but it, it actually is very difficult because we know that many of these products, if not all of the products, um, are made in China um, or other you know, uh, primarily China, uh, maybe only China. Um, and because, of course, the, the labor is less, and I was reading an article on the Internet about the, the kinds of horrible conditions the workers for Apple had to suffer in China when they were um, working and, and um, you know, living, the kinds of conditions they were living in as well because they were living, um, their living quarters were connected to their job. So, um so, you know, like, duh, of course, now, years later, and it's not just just Apple, of course, it's so many companies. I remember, you know, companies are, of course, we have all heard about various companies related to clothing manufacturing. I mean, there are so many different things, and I've had guests talk about this on the show as well in the past um, who who talked about numerous industries that were became reliant on um, foreign cheaper labor in order to make more money. <laughs> And, you know, so when you think about, um, which is where I was going with this, when you think about the Wall Street protests, the Occupy Wall Street movement, um, of, you know, you, you, there, you have to admit that there are really, um, they are really right in a lot of the things that they're protesting. The problem is that this movement has gotten so confused. I mean, there are, people are there for so many different reasons. They think they're protesting so many different things, you know. Um, I mean, they're just angry. I mean, that's kind of where I started off, that people are so angry that they want to protest. What they're protesting, really, I mean, what, what people in general, whether they're at the uh, occupying Wall Street movements or, or other similar things or not, but what people are angry about all over this country is who took away the American dream? What happened? You know, my book, Coping with Terrorism, Dreams Interrupted, and that's about terrorism. But, you know, I started thinking about how um, it's not just the threat of terrorism taking away our American dream, and, and, and um, in so many ways that has resulted in the situations that we're having now. I'll explain that again in a minute. But... um but it's it's that even just the American dream from a financial viewpoint, economic viewpoint, you know, everyone, you, you, the idea of having a house 
and uh, a lawn and a pet and um, two children and a, ca- a nice car and you know all whatever all the things were that went into this American dream. Um, of course, now it's being very much uprooted, particularly by all the foreclosures. And so it's no wonder that people are angry. And it's interesting because some of the signs that people um, hold at these rallies are interesting. Like, for example, one said, American dream um, has become the American plight or behead the Fed, <laughs> a rather angry, uh, <laughs> rather angry sign. And then a good one, I had a dream, uh, Wall Street stole it and the government won't get it back. All of these things are incredibly poignant, and um, it's true. What happened to this American dream that we grew up just accepting was our birthright. I mean, that's been part of the problem, that we've grown up thinking we are entitled to this, um, while other people go off and fight our wars and assure our freedom and and we drink our lattes. Um, I mean, where is, has that American gumption gone? That's the real question. Yes, of course it's awful that, that uh, all of these jobs have been disappearing. And yes, these company heads who are making gazillions of dollars um, should be held responsible for those decisions. But at the same time, if if you're listening and you have found yourself out of work, whatever kind of work you did or want to do, um, really, you know, there are, there are things that you can do besides waiting for someone else to give you a job. You must have some talents. There must be something you can do, and you just need to... to Get out there and do it. Okay, I know the, well, I don't have any capital. How could I sell anything? How could I make anything to sell? Well, there are ways of doing that. Perhaps um, you have a friend who is in, who sells something, and you could become one of their salespeople and get a commission. Or, um, or you can do a product. You can do um, something on the Internet, um, make some kind of product that you can sell on the Internet. Or you can try to get a loan from the bank or from a friend or from a relative, which is tricky, yes, because then they, when there's money problems, um, unfortunately that's one of the other things that's happening these days, that friends are ta- turning against friends because of money making them desperate. Um, but in any case, it, it takes, it, you know, it just takes a little bit of, of ingenuity. I mean, my grandfather um, came over with his, with his uh, parents um, from Austria, and um, they didn't have very much money. And um, his, I'm not even really sure what his father did, but soon after they came here, his father died. When he was six years old, his father died, and he had um, six other uh, siblings. And at six years old, he went out in in the street, and sold newspapers. Now, I mean, I'm not quite sure how he did that, but because I technically, you know, a six-year-old isn't supposed to uh, supposed to be working. Although maybe they didn't have those laws then. I don't know. Or maybe he bought um, a stack of newspapers from 
a newspaper dealer and he sold them for um, a penny more or something like that. I don't know how he did it, but I know he did it because this is a story I heard throughout my childhood. Has I heard about him walking to school with um, with holes in his shoes um, because his mother, you know, who was now a single mom with with six or seven kids, couldn't couldn't afford to buy them all shoes. So they all did something, and um, uh, not that that was and, and what it came from. I mean, not that that was inventing the computer, obviously selling newspapers. But um, of course, he then went on to 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 form a company, um, Art Button Novelty Company, and he sold um, different kinds of novelties, different kinds of um, well, starting with buttons, <laughs> starting with painted buttons, and um, and he did very well for himself <laughs> after um, years of developing his business. But the point is that it was it was that was part of the american dream it was the gumption it was going out there and standing in the snow selling newspapers um what ha- you know to, to six year old kids now today <laughs> who are in um poor straits you know their let's say their father lost their job or 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 their mother lost their job or do they think about going out in the street and of course there's no snow in california but this is reaching around the world so wherever you live <laughs> The six-year-old kids, at least in America, I mean, I, I presumably six-year-old kids in some other countries do um, work very hard because that's why the people in America, the the owners of the companies, are going to these companies to get cheap labor. But in America, um, six-year-olds and and other kids, you know, young kids are are pampered. Um, and aren't taught that that's what you do, and don't seem to have that as a as a um, as an intrinsic part of themselves to just go out and figure out how to make some money. Um, you know that that uh, that's the part that's the that's the most that's the scariest of all. That we seem to have lost this pioneering spirit. This, this is what was responsible for the American dream to, to begin with. It was people just going out, not necessarily all six years old, but people going out and working their tush off. <laughs> um, all right, their ass off. Working their ass off to make some money and build a business and build this country. And somehow we have lost that. And we had damn well better get it back. Or we are continuing, are going to continue to go on this spiral downward, and that's a great place to uh, to end. I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. <laughs> You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships... Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com 
or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, putting the news on the couch and <laughs> getting going on rants because there's a lot to rant about. Um, I was starting to talk about the the uh, Occupy Wall Street movement, and it's it's not just on Wall Street actually; it's really blossoming all over the country. And and of course, there are, there are similar protests for different reasons in other in other countries, um, which is, you know, which is what I was saying, that the whole world seems to be erupting in anger. Everybody has something significant to be angry about. Of course, you know, it's great to protest and to show, to make a point, but at the same time, you can't just stop it at protests. I mean, you have to come up with some creative solutions. And um, that's, you know, that's, uh, that's, I mean, it's great to express yourself and, and, you know, of course, um, uh, the idea is to influence policymakers who recognize that, um, that there are enough people who are angry about this, uh, who you need to listen to because that's part of what they're trying to say that, um, uh, for example, there's a quote, we are the 99% um, some of the the group in the Occupy Wall Street uh, group said, you know, some of the members said, um, and their try and their point is that most Americans lack the influence in their country's political and financial affairs enjoyed by the elite one percent. That's one part of it. But you know, I mean, there are people who are there attacking corporate greed, of course. I mean, there's the whole issue of, and now it seems to be moving on to the banks. Um, that um, here these banks got uh, so much bailout money, and yet, you know, when we saw how much money the heads of these banks were taking home, they were really uh, obscene amounts. And then, of course, there was the issue of how they spent the money, decorating their offices, you know, with elaborate furniture and tapestries and rugs, oriental rugs, and, and it's just, you know, not spending it on things that would uh, be useful would be helping the, the people who, are, who bank at their bank or helping society in general. Instead, um, they, are just, they are just taking away more houses, foreclosing on more houses. So it doesn't make any sense. 
um, that that where did all this money go and what was the point of it? Um, so, of course, people have a lot to be angry about, but, uh, you know, I, I, this idea that everyone should be making the same amount, you know, this equality, that's, that's another theme. As I said in the um, first segment, I was talking about how people go to these protests for lots of different reasons and it's kind of getting muddled. You know, and um, I agree with some of the reasons, but I don't agree with all of them. For example, um, I, I sort of believe in the Ayn Rand um, philosophy that that if people are going to work and um, form companies or um, you know be the hardest workers of this country, then they do deserve to reap the benefits of that. I don't believe in equality or socialism or communism, which unfortunately, um, at least socialism, is what Obama has been bringing about or trying to bring about since he's been in office. And I don't think it's, I don't think there should be equality just because that everybody should have the same amount of money if some people are working, <laughs> I keep saying, <laughs> I'm obviously angry. If some people are working their ass off and others are sitting on their ass. <laughs> there, I've said ass, what, four times already today. <laughs> obviously angry. Um, but anyway, it's really true that people deserve, should, their, their rewards, their benefits, their money, their, um, income and other perks should be proportional to how much work they put in, whether that's ingenuity in thinking up, creating new inventions, creating things that will help society, or whether it's just um, the hours, literally, that they put in um, plowing a field or, um, or, or being in a surgical operating room or whatever it is, you know, and the, re- and the work should be rewarded um, um, you know, on, on a scale of what it's worth. But people who are, who just want to sit at home and don't really want to work, um, or work that hard, um, should not be, should not be entitled to, um, benefits just because they're Americans. Um, I mean, I'm, t- I'm not talking about people who are ill or people, you know, well, I mean, I guess to some, <laughs> well, I mean, not people who are ill, but, but people who, who could work, again, if there were jobs, yes, of course, that is part of the problem. But, um, but, but in these protests, you know, the, a lot of the people who are um, at the protests are not necessarily the unemployed. It's, it, as I said, it's all, there are all different agendas and it's getting muddled. But, um, but there's, a, there's a limit to how much this entitlement um, Goes and and um, I don't really think that it that it you know that that we're all entitled to uh, receiving things that we don't work for. And yes, of course, there need to be more jobs, and there there needs to be you know obviously the government is uh, has not been doing a good job um, as far as stemming this runaway production and runaway money that. Um, you know, allowing the companies to to do this kind of thing, put the jobs in other countries. Um, you know, that just seems to be to should have been pretty obvious years and years and years ago, so that we wouldn't have gotten to this point. But um, so yes, there are all these different problems, and they all do need to be addressed. 
but um, but I, I do just want to say that uh, that it's not just a ma- I'm not I agree with a lot of the things that they're saying uh, that some of the people are saying, but but not just this general idea that um, that there's this financial inequality and that should be redressed. It should only be redressed if people are willing to work as hard as the people who are working at the top. And yes, uh, you know that uh, putting aside, I mean that, that doesn't mean that the people, the CEOs and so on of the banks, um, who aren't, <laughs> who deserve the, the, um, the countless amounts of money that they received after having been bailed out. So all of this needs to be very carefully thought out. But, um, but basically it comes back to good old-fashioned ingenuity that, that people need to refine um, and not just depend upon other people giving them a job. So let's see what can I what can I go to next? Um, the Conrad Murray trial, of course, is uh, is interesting. Um, and as you know, if you've been listening to the show for a while, one of the hats that I wear as a psychiatrist, uh, I wear a lot of different hats. <laughs> Um, as an author, as a psychiatrist actually seeing patients in my Beverly Hills office, as um, um, a TV personality, as a radio host, <laughs> obviously, as, uh, well, and recently I've gone into the, <laughs> into the clothing business. Um, you, as, you may have, as you may know, um, I have become the U.S. ambassador of the Kate Middleton sexy dress. I've talked about this before. The dress that she wore, the see-through sexy dress that she wore when um, she made Prince William fall in love with her. She wore this at the fashion show, and that was what got him to change his mind from sort of platonic acquaintance slash friend to love interest and what has brought us, brought her <laughs> to where she is today. Um, and I do want to tell you, and I'll remind you at the end of the hour, that um, two things, that there is an E! True Hollywood story coming up this Wednesday, October 12th at 10 p.m. So on E! The True Hollywood story is Kate and Pippa, and I have been interviewed for that because of my connection to this dress. Um, the fact that I'm the U.S. ambassador of the dress means that um, the only place that you can get this dress in the United States is from me, and for right now, from my website, badgirlsbook.com. Um, but it is also on sale, just starting today, actually, for a week. There's an auction um, to benefit breast cancer charities on closetsforcauses.com. So I have contributed us a, an autographed book of my bad girls, Why Men Love Them and How Good Girls Could Learn Their Secrets, I've contributed an autographed book and one of the limited edition of copies of Kate Middleton's dress. So you can go to that and bid on it as well and, uh, and watch the E! True Hollywood story. And, um, and why did I... Oh, so, yes, I, the reason why I got on that was because I was saying that uh, in terms of my hats, so one of the hats has become now a clothing retailer, at least in terms of the sexy... Kate dress because it goes with my bad girls book because I called her the quintessential good girl who used bad girl secrets to catch her prince and the point is that you can too with this dress and with uh, my book to learn the other bad girl secrets as well so um, so that's what's going on today see that's my see there's part of my grandfather in me um, I don't wait I don't work for anyone um, and 
and uh, you know, there's there's the ingenuity. I mean, it, I'm 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 saying it half kiddingly, but actually, he was a big um, a big role model, a big inspiration for me growing up. All these stories of what he did for himself and starting out at six years old and all of that. Um, and you know, I'm sure that that is part of a big part of what has contributed to my career um, being sort of a a maverick or an entrepreneur or you know doing using my my skills as a psychiatrist in numerous ways and uh, of course trying to help people all along the way which is why I'm doing this radio show hoping to help you with some of these um, with you know providing an oasis of sanity in this increasingly insane world that's what I try to do by analyzing some of these things that are going on in the news because otherwise we all, I mean, hearing all of these things over and over without any analysis of them, just just sound bites, is really not very helpful to our mental health. So, uh, so that's what I'm trying to, to do, to help with, to analyze. And when we come back, I will start with the Conrad Murray trial. Um, as you may remember, I was, I mean, I've been involved analyzing Michael Jackson for a long time, um, but also I was involved in uh, in the complaint to Child Protective Services that wound up in um, his, his trial for um, child abuse, child sexual abuse. I'll explain more about that. Of course, that doesn't mean that I don't want his doctor to get justice, which I think will be would be to be found guilty and which I hope will happen. So we'll talk about that when we come back. And um, you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, I'm putting the headlines on the couch today. There's certainly countless headlines to put on the couch that need analyzing. Uh, the Conrad Murray trial is one, and... Um, that is uh, 
well, so far, of course, it's the prosecutors putting on their case, and of course, when when whatever side is putting on their side, um, yeah, things seem to be going well for them, for the most part. Um, we haven't heard from the defense, but the the thing that just oh, I was starting to say about the different hats that I wear, and one of the hats is as a forensic psychiatrist. Um, I've been uh, working on civil cases, criminal cases for almost twenty years. And so I testify, I'm a forensic psychiatrist, I testify in court as an expert witness, so I'm quite familiar with trials. <laughs> and um, the thing that ha- surprises me the most about this trial uh, is, that, is that the defense's plan, or at least what we've heard so far of the defense's plan uh, for Conrad Murray, is to say that while he was out of the room, Michael Jackson took the propofol, and some other drug himself. And so it wasn't really Dr. Murray who administered it to him, the, the fatal dose. And so therefore it's Michael Jackson, who is already dead, um, thanks to Dr. Murray, um, who is at fault for, for killing himself. You know, whether that was accidental or on purpose, I don't think they're going to try to say that he uh, tried to commit suicide. Um, but... But what, whichever, for whatever reason, he, they're saying that he took this, these doses of the medications that ultimately killed him. Well, you know, one little flaw in that argument, which I, which I certainly hope that the uh, prosecution is going to bring out, is that even if Michael Jackson, who quite frankly was in no shape to be taking uh, another dose of anything, uh, I mean, it would be quite unlikely that he would have been physically able to do that, um, but in any case, even if he could have, if he physically could have, um, the idea that the doctor who was getting or was supposed to be getting $150,000 a month to be Michael Jackson's doctor, the fact that he went out of the room and didn't watch Michael Jackson um, when he, during that time that he purportedly t- took these doses of fatal medicine uh, is, is enough to say that he is responsible for Michael Jackson's death. I mean, and then he tried to say we heard the tapes um, of the police interview of Dr. Murray, and he says that he was in the bathroom. Because Michael seemed to be falling asleep, he left the room to go to the bathroom. Well, (laughs) unless he calls his girlfriends from the toilet, (laughs) which I guess I wouldn't put past him, um, you know... (laughs) He was out of the room a very long time to supposedly be going to the bathroom, and during that time, there are records that they brought out of his calling his various girlfriends, um, and in in trying to work on his contract to make sure that he was getting the hundred and fifty thousand a month, you know, trying to close the deal, um, make sure it's in it's you know signed, sealed, and delivered, and. Um, and even though he wanted, uh, what was it, five million he had asked for, um, and and that was what he was working on, rather than paying attention to what Michael Jackson was doing, and, and knowing, or should, or he should have been knowing that, um, you know, if Michael was in the physical condition to have possibly taken the extra doses, then he should have been aware that Michael might have had um, an inclination to do that because because he was actually very worried that he would be able to to follow through on all of the commitments 
that the company had made for all of the concerts that they just kept adding on without any you know they were out of touch with reality to think that michael would have been would have been in physical shape to have done all of those concerts and of course the doctor dr murray um, wanted to assure them that he could do these concerts because he wanted to keep getting his $150,000 a month. So if it went on for three months as it was supposed to go on, um, that would be great. You know, the more, the longer it went on, the more months he'd be able to claim his $150,000 or so he thought. So, you know, everybody was looking out for everybody except Michael Jackson, who was the goose. <laughs> Um, and and Con- Dr. Murray killed the goose that was trying to lay the golden egg. I don't think he ever would have been able to lay it. Uh, he would have laid an egg, most likely, but he would never have been able to to uh, carry on that number of concerts because because of all the years of drug abuse. And granted, Michael Jackson did abuse drugs. I mean, this is not news uh, for many years. And yes, is his family in part responsible? especially his father, for um, causing him to have all of those demons, causing him to have such a traumatic, abusive childhood that, that caused him to have demons, caused Michael to have demons that were following him for the rest of his life, which he tried to blot out with the various drugs that he took. You know, yes, should the father share some of the blame? Yes, but his father isn't on trial, and his father didn't administer the last lethal dose um, so in that sense, you know, he he can't be found guilty of this particular crime, but he knows that he's he knows that, uh, and the rest of the family knows, and a lot of the world knows that um, it was really Michael's father who who exploited him first, and then um, went on to, um, and then the family has been exploiting him ever since. He passed his death. Even after his death, we've seen concerts and so on, even after his death. So, and we will continue to see it, I'm sure. Um, and my, I know I sort of, um, mentioned, <laughs> mentioned it and didn't explain, but my, my connection with Michael started in the 80s when, um, I was asked to be the psychiatric consultant to a book, a biography that was being written by J. Randy Tarabarelli called The Magic and the Madness. And I um, was privy to all the information that he had collected about his childhood, about Michael's childhood, and I was therefore able to analyze why Michael became the way he did. And from then on, I've been doing tons of media interviews anytime something would happen in Michael's life. And when there was the baby dangling, I was called upon to be interviewed about it again and um, about him again. And um, it was at that point that I finally sent a letter to Child Protective Services to say that his children should be taken away until he got um, sufficient psychiatric help. And it was then that the documentary came out that showed, amongst other things, um, his connection to Gavin, and I included that in my second complaint asking for the children to be taken away. And it was that that caused Child Protective Services to investigate Gavin, and it was that that ultimately brought about the trial that um, where Michael was being charged with child abuse. So, um, you know, if <laughs> what, what makes me sad is to think that if they would have listened and taken away his children until he got sufficient psychiatric treatment, he might well have gotten off these drugs, and he might well be alive today. 
But in the meantime, um, thanks to Dr. Murray, he's not. And I do hope that this jury will have the courage to um, give him the verdict that he deserves of um, of guilty. And, um, yes, he deserves time in jail. Whether he'll ever get time in jail, I'm not sure. But but uh, certainly his license should be taken away. And, and um, you know, he was just looking out for number one and, and just looking out for his own, what he was going to get out of this. Not to say that he didn't have some feeling for Michael, but obviously he was not being there was so not being a good doctor there were so many things that he did that were beneath the standard of care not just that final dose but um you know listening to michael we we heard that recording of michael in slurred voice um telling him about how he wants this, these concerts to be the greatest ever and so on and and what did Dr. Murray do? He just kept on ordering and giving him propofol and ordering propofol to come to his private residence, which is another no-no, a private residence that he was sharing with the mother of his child, um, the mistress, um, who was the mother of his child uh, out of wedlock. Uh, I mean, you know, it just goes on. The fact that there were all these different girlfriends who he was calling, um, that doesn't make him a murderer, but it certainly does um, illuminate more of his character. Uh, this guy was just, you know, he just thought that he could do no wrong, that he could have as many women as he wanted, he could treat Michael Jackson and, and uh, any way he wanted. Uh, he claims to have been trying to wean him off the drug, but um, with all those drugs that he ordered, why would he have ordered so much if his plan was to wean him off? And I, I don't really think he knew what he was doing anyway. Uh, as far as how to wean him off these drugs, he was a cardiologist. He wasn't an anesthesiologist um, or a psychiatrist or an addiction specialist. So how on earth was he supposed to have the knowledge to um, to think that he could wean Michael off? But he was, wasn't thinking any further than the 150000 a month. That was all he was thinking. And being able to have the status of saying that he was Michael Jackson's doctor. It's all very sad, and it all goes to people doing um, more desperate things for for money and for fame and for status, and and um, it's it's you know it's sad. It 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 lowers what society thinks of doctors as a whole when we have doctors like Dr. Murray uh, on trial and exposed. I mean, I'm, of course, he should be on trial, and as I said, he should be found guilty, but. Um, it gives you know this this lowers the the respect that the general public has for doctors in general. And yes, this um, recession and and notably uh, the kinds of things that Obama wants to Obamacare, what he wants to put into uh, um, into effect, um, you, you know that the changes in the insurance companies and so on um, that has made many doctors depressed and um, disillusioned and thinking to themselves, this is not what I went to medical school for. But that, however, doesn't uh, justify what Dr. Conrad Murray did, um, and it doesn't justify what your family doctor may be doing if he's not spending enough time with you um, or cutting corners in other ways. And, yes, this is really something that, that... that's affected doctors and affected patients and affected all of us. So um, 
So we just need to be aware of it and make sure that we that we get the time, the amount of time that we need from our doctors. Demand it. Period. All right, we need to take another break. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Um, talking today about putting headlines on the news and uh, and all the injustices that we're all feeling. I'm trying to make you feel a little better. One thing I just want to add about Dr. Murray um, before we go on to Amanda Knox um, is that is that uh, the drug propofol, you know, the main fatal drug that he administered, the fatal dose, um, is really a drug that anesthesiologists use in hospitals, that doctors in general use, I mean, that is meant to be used in a hospital setting where they're where there are um, things to to um, you know oxygen. Well, there was supposedly an oxygen tank at Michael's residence, but where there's all kinds of um, personnel and all kinds of equipment needed to be able to quickly reverse the effects. I mean, if this was given to a person when they were by an anesthesiologist when they were having surgery, the anesthesiologist would have been able to quickly reverse the effect if by accident he had given too much. Um, he could have quickly counteracted that with another medication or done, you know, there are, I'm not an anesthesiologist, but I do know <laughs> that there are things that he could have done in a hospital setting that would have or would at least would have had a better chance of um, counteracting the dose that ultimately killed Michael Jackson. Let's go on to Amanda Knox. Um, did bad girls Amanda Knox and Casey Anthony seduce the justice justice system, or were they scapegoated because they were too sexy? There seems to be a disconnect between what the juries um, felt, uh, agreed upon, decided in these cases, and what a lot of the media decided. Um, now, Casey Anthony, I've talked about. Uh, before, I think that her, the jury made the perfect decision because 
Um, uh, granted, she obviously must know what happened to her child. You know, who killed her child, how her child died. Um, I think it was probably an accident because of her neglectful mothering, which, yes, in a way, she should have been punished for, but they had taken away that charge of neglect, which was the mistake of the prosecutors. But anyway, but but did she actually kill um, her her child? That certainly was not proven. And so the jury did make the right decision because there wasn't proof of it, and not beyond a reasonable doubt in any case. And... Um, and that was that's what they had to go by and i think it was very courageous of them to make that decision even though they knew that the media was so because it had been for years before before the trial they knew that the media um was very much against case casey anthony especially um especially um nancy grace um you know who <laughs> who already um was giving her that lethal injection in her dreams every night um to, to punish her. It's very interesting because Nancy Grace has come out against Amanda Knox very uh, ferociously as well. And quite frankly, I think, um, I mean, yes, she was a prosecutor, and in general she is pro-prosecution, but I think that she is an example of what happens when women on the jury, and granted it didn't happen in either of those cases, but there was the danger of um, women on the jury feeling jealous of um, female defendants who are too sexy. In other words, you know, there's a kind of what the French call jalousie de femme, um, jealousy amongst women that can get in the way of rational decision making. Um, but and, and I think that uh, in fact Nancy Grace might be exhibiting that. Um, being more, you know, feeling uh, she wouldn't have liked these women if, even if they weren't on trial for murder, <laughs> you know, just because, um, because of, of comparing herself to, to them. And, of course, it's so interesting because she has really been making kind of a fool of herself, um, Have ha- has had several or at least two faux pas on Dancing with the Stars, and I'm not talking about her dancing, I'm leaving leaving that aside. Um, there was the uh, wardrobe malfunction where um, obviously her nipple was showing because when you see pictures of this on the Internet, you see the nipple covered over. Um, I mean, maybe there are presumably some pictures where it isn't covered over, but in the mainstream media, they have covered over the, the nipple. And if there was no nipple to cover over, um, you know, there wouldn't be that, whatever it is that they put on top of it. And yet um, Nancy Grace has been denying, <laughs> denying that, um, that, uh, that the wardrobe malfunction was that much, of, showed that much. So, you know, talk about telling the truth. Anyway, um, but what's interesting, I, I mean, I, so Casey Anthony, yes, I think the jury made the right decision. Amanda Knox, to be honest, I'm not really sure. Um, I mean, I'm not really sure that she wasn't involved in the killing of Meredith Kircher. Um, you know, it's, it's, I mean, of course, yes, you can say the same, well, I mean, you could try to say the same thing that the prosecution didn't prove it, except for the fact 
that they had Amanda's uh, DNA on the handle end of a knife and Meredith's on the blade end of a knife. Now, could um, could the uh, prosecution have planted that? Uh, it, w- it would have been pretty difficult. Um, and, of course, then the, the defense got another uh, group of experts to say that the DNA uh, was too small, the amount of DNA that, they, that the prosecution had had examined was too small to determine this. I don't know. I mean, I think that, um, that is Amanda Knox a killer? Would she have purposely, would she have plotted to kill uh, Meredith? No. But could she have gotten um, involved in sort of a, um, a drug-filled or alcohol-filled or sex-filled haze, um, <laughs> alcohol and or drug and or sex um, crazed haze? <laughs> yes, I think she could have. Um, you know, and could she have forgotten that she, after four years, could she have forgotten that she did it or forgotten the details of it? Could her mind have blocked that out, especially if she was on drugs or alcohol, which uh, I don't know was proven. But um, it, it there just seems to be, you know, other than, uh, yes, we have um, the, the one man who was convicted of this and, and, um, who has claimed that they were involved, that that um, Amanda and her boyfriend, Raphael, were involved. Um, you know, he has claimed this, but, but uh, I, I, you know, it's, it, that all became kind of hazy. And, uh, of course, he, he has motive to try to claim that because he's trying to save himself. Or, well, he did get fewer years on appeal, but, you know, he, he would love to be able to exonerate himself altogether and blame it just on them. I just think that it's, it's a bit hazier um, as to whether or not Amanda Knox was actually guilty. Um, however, it would be a very interesting Romeo and Juliet type story if um, Raphael Solicito came to America, her, her uh, Amanda's father did invite Raphael and his family to come to America, and it, that kind of leads to all kinds of fantasies about them getting together and, and living happily ever after with the secret um, locked inside of them, especially if they got married, because there would be the marital privilege. Although I don't know in Italian law whether that would extend back to when the murder took place. But in any case, I'm just saying that there's more of a question mark over Amanda Knox um, and what was what the prosecution proved beyond a reasonable doubt or not, and I guess part of the, the doubt has to do with what the what the um, parameters are for an Italian jury. But anyway, we're running out of time, and I do want to remind you again to watch E True Hollywood Story, Kate and Pippa. It's coming up this Wednesday, October twelfth at ten p.m. I was interviewed for it. Um, hopefully they included the part where I show the dress. But in any case, you can go to closetsforcauses.com and bid on the dress and benefit breast cancer. I have donated a, a, one of the limited edition of Kate Middleton's sexy dresses to Closets for Causes. The money does go to breast cancer charities, and I've also donated a, an autographed book of Bad Girls, Why Men Love Them, and How Good Girls Can Learn Their Secrets. Two Closets for Causes. So check those things out. 
and um, and I hope I've given you some uh, some behind the scenes kinds of insights, a psychiatrist's perspective in any case on the headlines that are driving us all crazy. And I'm trying to provide an oasis of sanity, which is getting increasingly difficult as this world is going down, <laughs> is going out of control. Um, but you, the only thing that you can hope for is to try to look at these things, look at these headlines, um, and analyze them, and not just not just uh, take in what the mainstream media is telling you without analyzing them. There's so many re- repercussions for all these things that I talked about, and I had a whole stack more of headlines um, to analyze, but I'll have to save that for a future time. So thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 